0: I Lived with a Killer is part of the Real Crime Collection in the Reels Files on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to get new episodes each Thursday. Then go to Reels.com to find chilling programs like this when you watch TV. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com for the real crime series and specials you'll find only on Reels Channel.
1: sure seems like the nice guy in the neighborhood
2: people consistently described him as charismatic and charming
1: but his daughter knows that in reality he is a monster
2: my
3: dad was really good at pretending to be this nice wonderful human being when you don't have to be locked behind a
0: closed door with him.
1: but when the truth about his crimes is revealed it
2: put him in a position to have access to a lot of young women
4: using the stick was what led to the moniker tourniquet killer Even his
1: daughters are shocked at the depths of his depravity.
3: I answered the phone, and I was like, hey, and she was like, hey, um, dad's a serial killer. Even when you know they're a bad person, it takes it to a whole new level of awful.
1: Anthony Allen Shore is every parent's worst nightmare. Masquerading as an everyday family man, he preys on the youth of his suburban Houston, Texas neighborhood. Shore's method of strangling his victims to death earns the serial predator the nickname, the tourniquet killer. And his method of parenting makes life a nightmare for his two young daughters, Tiffany and Amber.
4: Tiffany Shore, daughter.
3: Was basically just convinced that nothing bad would happen to us if we were locked inside the house you know don't go outside because someone might kidnap you in reality I think the worst thing out there was probably him he was the worst person in the neighborhood in
1: 1992 30 year old Anthony Shore is married with two young daughters friendly and outgoing he works as a telephone repairman in Houston Texas His friends call him Telephone Tony. Young Tiffany sees the best in her father.
3: When I was a little girl, I was definitely self-identified as a daddy's girl. I idolized him. He was in a local band called the St. Vitus Dance, and he used to have gigs after his work in the evenings, and sometimes he would allow my sister and I to go so that we could watch him play. We would sit at the bar and drink Shirley Temples and watch him play music.
1: Anthony spoils Tiffany and her older sister with the best gifts money can buy. We
3: always had pretty lavish birthday parties. One in particular that stands out, he had all of my friends over for the summertime, and he had all these activities outside with chalk and painting and bubbles and all kinds of crazy stuff. I thought it was great.
1: But below the surface of this seemingly normal family man lurks a terrible evil. As a teenager, Shore would use his sister to lure girls out of their houses and into his car where he would harass and fondle them. He keeps up this disturbing behavior as an adult. But while Shore gets older, his victims don't.
4: Kerry Blackinger, reporter, Houston Chronicle.
2: Anthony Shore worked as a telephone repair guy, and he was a record driver. So both of those jobs ended up bringing him all over the county, he traveled a lot, he had a van. It put him in a position to have access to a lot of young women.
1: In 1986, Shore is a 24-year-old man with two infant daughters, when he meets
4: 14-year-old Lori Tremblay. Gerald Bork, court-appointed attorney for Anthony Shore. Lori and Anthony met the way he kind of met everyone else. Lori is walking down the sidewalk. Anthony pulls up in his van, rolls the window down, engage in small talk. Shore offers Lori
1: a ride to school, which she accepts. After repeating this pattern several times, the two become friends. But Shore's intentions are not entirely friendly. One day, alone in the car with his young prey... He makes his move.
2: What? So, Lori was his first victim, or at least his first victim that we know about. He was giving her rides on a somewhat regular basis, and during one of those, he started making moves and he got aggressive. She told him to stop, and he wouldn't.
1: When Shore tries to unhook Lori's bra, she resists, and the two argue. Desperate to ensure that Lori never tells anyone about his inappropriate advances, Shore takes drastic action.
2: He hit her in the back of the head and then he strangled her with a cotton cord.
4: As he was twisting and trying to terminate Lori's life, she's struggling and she's fighting for her life. But he twists his finger, gets caught in the ligature and injures his hand. So that was, that was the
1: beginning. Shore dumps Laurie's body near a trash bin, behind a restaurant, three miles from her apartment complex. Her body is discovered later that day. But when detectives arrive at the scene, there are few clues
4: to go on. In 86, we're still in the infancy of crime scene analysis, if you will. Unless you had someone that said, I have this license plate on this color van and three other people that saw it five blocks down the road, you're going to have a hard time searching and finding a perpetrator.
1: With no solid leads, the case goes unsolved. And Anthony Shore continues to live what appears to be a normal life for years.
2: People in the outside world, consistently described him as charismatic and charming he was a musician he was into jazz he maintained a pretty fastidious persona
3: of being this wonderful charming individual he definitely went all out to spend lots of money on extravagant gifts and putting on the outward display that everything was really happy in our home to everybody else
1: But below the nice guy exterior, Shore is far from the perfect husband and father he pretends to be.
3: We were pretty well isolated from other children. We didn't really have lots of outings to other people's houses, so we didn't understand what the social norms were for family dynamic. Our family dynamic was pretty abusive at best, and to us, that was the norm. We did not know any better. We had nothing to compare it to, so... I just accepted it as life at that point.
1: But young Tiffany has no idea just how far gone her father truly is. Now 30 years old, Anthony's attraction to teenage girls continues. On April 16, 1992, he spots Maria del Carmen Estrada while she walks to work in the early morning. Though 20 years
4: old, she looks young for her age. She is waiting to catch a bus, and he comes by the first time and tries to give her a ride, and she says no. He circles back around and eventually talks her into getting in the van with him.
2: After Anthony Shore picked up Maria, he started making advances on her.
1: When Maria resists his advances,
4: Shore becomes violent. He locks all the doors. He takes his nylon ligature with a stick attached to it and slips it around her neck and begins to sexually assault and kill her. But his encounter
1: with Lori years earlier has had an effect.
2: He hurt his finger in the process, so he decided that moving forward he was going to resort to tourniquets.
4: She fought for her life very aggressively trying to get out of the car. He couldn't get out of the car, and eventually he squeezed the life out of her using that nylon cord in the stick to twist it. And using the stick... As the tourniquet, to twist the uh, nylon is what led to the moniker, tourniquet killer.
1: Once again, Shore dumps his victim's body in an alley behind a restaurant. But this time, police have a little more to go on.
2: From Maria's crime scene, police gathered DNA evidence which included fingernail scrapings. In
4: 1992, we're beginning to understand that there's information in our victims and they do fingernail clippings and they store them in a refrigerator in the property room the dna evidence is
1: sent to the houston crime lab but because shore's dna isn't in their database there is no way to link him to the crime anthony returns home and continues to live his life but within a year his marriage And with it, the facade of his perfect family crumbles.
3: Once they were divorced, they really spent more time arguing about who had plans than who was going to get the kids. They had other things that they'd rather be doing. It was just kind of like being sloughed off onto the people. It made you feel not important.
1: Eventually, Tiffany's mother gives sole custody of the girls to their father so she can move in with her new boyfriend.
3: The months leading up to that, my mother had been essentially the full-time parent. So she was a disciplinarian, and she also had her boyfriend being a disciplinarian to my sister and I at the time. So when we got the opportunity to go stay with my dad, it seemed like life was going to be easier because he was the fun one. He wasn't the one having to discipline us on the daily. So it seemed like a good idea at the time.
1: But in reality... Tiffany and her sister are in the clutches of an evil man.
4: I don't know how that happened. How does this guy wind up with two little girls with his issues? I mean, it wasn't like he had stable employment. It wasn't like he had stable parenting skills. I mean, it wouldn't have taken uh, much for someone to realize this guy shouldn't be raising daughters.
0: If you like what you're hearing, check out the Real Crime TV series on Reel's channel. You'll find true stories of capital offenders brought to justice, like Chris Watts, the Colorado Killer Dad, the Turpins, whose children grew up in a real-life house of horrors, and a new report on the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Reels is your go to for updates on unsolved murders and insights on the minds of serial killers. Find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. That's R E E L Z.com. Then check the top of the screen to find Reels in your area.
1: As the tourniquet killer, Anthony Shore prowls the streets of his Houston, Texas neighborhood coercing teenaged girls into his van, only to rape and strangle them. After divorcing his wife and gaining full custody of his two young daughters, Shore is forced to adjust to life as a single father. Shore's daughter Tiffany and her sister Amber live in squalid conditions in their father's home.
3: So when my sister and I went to go live with my dad, he had developed some ways of saving money. My sister and I would have to share bath water. We had allotments of the amount of toilet paper we were allowed to use. We didn't have a washer, so we would have to hand wash all of our clothing in a bathtub. The food situation was less than desirable. We kind of had an infestation of cockroaches and insects in the house. We found cockroach eggs in our cereal or ants in our peanut butter. Kids would make comments about the way we smelled or that our clothes were dirty. It made me feel very insecure. Nobody wants to be the smelly, nasty kid at school.
1: Like the neglected children in TV Shameless, Tiffany and Amber are left to look after themselves.
3: Sometimes my dad would want to go out and do things with his friends and he didn't have anybody to watch us, so he would just lock us in the house. He nailed down the windows in our room and he had a lock on the door that was a deadbolt. The way he explained it to us was so that we were safe, so that nobody could get in and so that we couldn't get out. It was a complete lockdown type situation.
1: Anthony rules the roost with a king of the castle mentality and an iron fist.
3: He was a very strong supporter of corporal punishment. He believed in hitting and spanking, but on a level which exceeds what most people would consider to be normal. He would tie us up in blankets or bare bottoms, spank us, spank the bottoms of our feet, pick us up by the hair of our heads and carry us around the house. And the only caveat was we weren't allowed to cry. Like, he said no crying was allowed in his house. And if we cried, he would tie us up and smother our faces with pillows.
1: Her father's violent outbursts take their toll on young Tiffany.
3: I think learning to suppress my emotions was just kind of a natural response. When I was really little, it was more about just wanting to make sure that I wasn't being some kind of horrible disappointment to my dad so I would try not to cry when he was beating me or screaming at me or my sister and then as I got older I started feeling a sort of resentment towards his abuse and so that's when I started laughing and smiling while he was being abusive towards us because I wanted him to think that it wasn't hurting me.
1: With his young daughters locked up at home... Shore once again develops an obsession with a teenaged girl in a nearby neighborhood.
2: He focused in on this 14-year-old girl and just became infatuated with her.
4: He was a telephone repairman, so that gave him access to people's neighborhoods, access to people's homes, and she caught his eye and he began to stalk her and Got familiar with her schedule, her comings, her goings, when she would be home, when she got home from school. And so he had tracked her for quite a while.
1: On October 19, 1993, knowing the young girl will be by herself after school, Shore breaks into her home.
2: So she comes home from school and he's inside the house, he's disguised himself, he attacks her, he binds her with duct tape, then rapes her while she's screaming and crying.
1: But unlike his previous two victims, Shore makes no effort to kill her.
4: There was something about that 14-year-old young lady that he could not emotionally or mentally or psychologically. Overcome because sexual assault is a power thing, and she was stronger than he was. Something about her handling of that situation stole his power, is the only thing I can see.
1: Because of his disguise, the young victim can't give a physical description of her attacker, and because Shore leaves the girl alive, investigators
4: don't see a link to his previous crimes. There was no reason for police to connect this incident with the 14-year-old, with any of the other previous homicides. One, it's an aggravated sexual assault. She survived. They're not going to connect those dots. Again, if you go back to Anthony's M.O., he's picking people up on the sidewalk, putting them in his van, and he perpetrates the homicide in the vehicle and then throws the victim out. This was totally and completely off M.O. So they, they just wouldn't have drawn that conclusion. But in fact, the crime fits perfectly within shores
1: pattern of attraction to disturbingly young targets. And soon, he finds a way to exercise his twisted sexual proclivities closer to home.
3: He would allow me to have friends over from school for the weekends, and we would play pretend rock band. He would allow myself and my friends and my sister to dress up very provocatively for our age, like very short skirts, tons of makeup. I didn't find out until I was an adult reading an excerpt from one of his journals that he did that deliberately because he liked to look at us dressed in a way that was suggestive of a grown woman, you know, being sexually provocative.
1: Eventually, the sexual predator sets his sights on his own daughters.
3: I would wake up and I would see him exposing himself in our bedroom while touching himself in a lewd and lascivious manner, if you will. And I never said anything or drew attention to it. I would just pretend to be asleep in the hopes that he would go away.
1: But sure, sickening behavior only gets worse.
3: I think I was like 10 years old. We were all sitting there and we were playing a card game and... It was a drinking game and he got me very, very, very intoxicated and I was very sick. I remember waking up completely in the nude and he was um, assaulting me while I was unconscious. That's what progressively led to my mental state of hopelessness and depression and despair and just not wanting to be a part of this world anymore. I really didn't see any escape from the situation.
1: Tiffany and her sister are trapped in a nightmare with no hope of rescue. Until Child Protective Services unexpectedly shows up at their door. Anthony Shore is the worst kind of evil. Victimizing teenaged girls in his Houston, Texas neighborhood and his two young daughters at home. His method of murdering by using a stick to twist a cord around the necks of his young victims earns him the nickname, the tourniquet killer. Shore's 10-year-old daughter, Tiffany, feels her life is hopeless. Like Jenna Malone's character in the Emmy-winning film, Bastard Out of Carolina, she suffers both physical and sexual abuse at the hands of her father. But Tiffany's sullen behavior and unkempt appearance don't go unnoticed at school. And one day, a worker from Child Protective Services pays her an unexpected visit.
3: She pulled me into the nurse's office and asked me general questions about, like, do I feel safe at home? Do my parents abuse me? Does my dad sexually molest us? Were we being touched in any kind of inappropriate way? Just general questions trying to establish what type of home we were living in and what that family dynamic looked like. I am not sure what my sister had told them in her interview at the school, whether she lied or told the truth. I know I lied because I was afraid. I assumed that maybe my sister did the same thing.
1: But Child Protective Services continues to investigate, paying a visit to Tiffany's home. However, having been alerted to the school visit by his daughters, Anthony Shore is one step ahead of them.
3: The day that they came to visit, I remember he had cooked like this big pot of stew so that the house would smell amazing, and he made us clean the house so that it was, in his words, immaculate and spotless. He basically had us wear clothes that he picked out that were very pristine and ideal-looking. I mean, he just basically put on this big facade about the perfect Brady Bunch-type family situation going on at home, and he ran down with us what we were allowed to say and not say one of those don't speak unless spoken to situations and if they ask you this kind of question you tell them that everything is hunky dory peachy keen at home like life is good here don't tell them anything about what actually goes on being that my dad had a long history of being violently abusive to my sister and i we went along with it because again we were afraid of retaliation
1: tiffany and her sister amber convince the social worker that there is no abuse happening at their house.
3: After CPS came to the house and they witnessed our well-versed situation and very manicured situation, nothing came of it. They literally came out, believed the line of garbage that my dad told to them and just left it at that.
1: When a despondent Tiffany watches her chance of being rescued slip away, she makes a drastic decision.
3: After a certain point, I just got to this mental condition where I was convinced that the only way out of the situation we were in was to just die, to just not be a part of the world anymore because, you know, CPS had come out and just nobody was appropriately intervening. So I gave up. I gave up on getting help from anybody at that point. I tried to commit suicide by overdosing on aspirin. Like, I didn't know anything about over-the-counter medicines or anything because I was still a kid, but I just knew. Like, at that time, you see people on television overdosing on meds. I locked myself in the bathroom with a big knife to slit my wrists. I just wanted any way out of the situation that I was in with him.
1: Tiffany's sister alerts their father to the fact that she is suicidal.
3: His response to it was basically that our situation was good and that if I didn't succeed in it, we will be placed somewhere with people that didn't love us and my sister and I would be separated. And he really was not so much concerned with my attempts as he was with just that we we had it so good that I had nothing to complain about.
1: Child Protective Services is alerted to potential problems at the Shore household on several other occasions. But each time, Anthony is able to convince them that nothing is amiss.
3: My dad was a very good actor. He's really good at pretending to be this nice, wonderful human being when you don't have to be locked behind a closed door with him.
1: Shore's ability to project a nice-guy image to the outside world helps him to draw in new victims. But in reality... He's a monster. In August 1994, Anthony spots 9-year-old Diana
4: Revelar walking alone. Mom says, I need you to run down to the store and get me some flour, sugar. So she walks down to the store and never comes home. Anthony saw her coming back and stopped, talked her into his van.
2: When he killed Diana, he used a tourniquet made out of a rope and a bamboo stick. And when they found her body afterwards, it was still around her neck.
1: The next summer, Shore runs across Dana Sanchez out on the street in the early evening.
2: 16-year-old Dana was planning to hitchhike to her boyfriend's house. She left, headed for North Houston, and Anthony Shore spotted her to pay him.
4: He pulls up, talks her into the car. She got in the car. And this time, there's no sexual assault. Just a yellow rope, toothbrush handle, made into a tourniquet. He kills her and dumps her body again.
2: Afterwards, he dumped her body in a field outside of town.
1: Dana Sanchez is reported missing the next day. But unlike with Shore's previous victims, police are unable to locate the body. After a week the increasingly brazen killer makes a bold move
2: after Dana was killed they didn't find her body right away and then Anthony Shore decided to take matters into his own hands he went and actually called the TV station to tell them where she was and to tell them that there was a serial killer on the loose I don't think that he
3: was trying to be caught at the time. I think that he was just playing a game and doing that to seek attention, to see if it would be on the news or to see if someone was going to write about him somewhere.
1: Like the infamous Zodiac Killer, depicted in the 2007 film starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, and Robert Downey Jr., Shore taunts law enforcement.
4: It was important, I believe, to Anthony, for Anthony to stick a finger in law enforcement's eye. And he could do that by calling the television station, telling them where the body could be located, hanging up, and they're having no way to connect all the dots back to the perpetrator, which was him. Making that phone call was his way of insulting law enforcement. Police believe
1: that the anonymous caller is the killer himself. But they're unable to trace
4: the call. Today, you make a phone call like that, in about 35 minutes to an hour, they'll be at your front door. But there was no way to find whoever it was that made that phone call. Back in that date and time, there was no way to connect the dots forensically to Anthony Shore.
1: A task force is formed to hunt down the ruthless tourniquet killer. But when months pass with little progress, the group is disbanded, and the killer continues to escape justice. With no criminal record and no mention on any sex offender database, Shore remains completely off the radar. Tiffany and her sister are resigned to a life of misery. And when a relative catches on to their plight, the girls may be in more danger than ever
3: my grandmother said i knew something was wrong i was just really afraid of what would happen i didn't know if he would beat me to death or what
1: a vicious serial killer who preys on the youth of his suburban neighborhood in houston texas anthony shore has for years escaped detection by the authorities His daughter, Tiffany, and her older sister, Amber, suffer a life of physical and sexual abuse at their father's hands with no hope of escape. So Tiffany is surprised when in 1997, her father decides to send them away.
3: So right after my 12th birthday, my dad made arrangements with his mom, my paternal grandmother, to send us off to go visit her. And his reason for doing so, according to him, was so that he could go and get married to his fiancee, who was like 18 or 19. He just wanted to send us off to stay with his mom for the summer while he could go off and get married and have his little honeymoon phase with his new wife.
1: Tiffany and her sister make the flight from Houston, Texas, to Sacramento, California.
3: When we arrived in California, (laughs) my grandmother came to pick us up from the airport. We were both wearing long pajamas underneath of, like, flannel jackets and denim jeans and, like, just wearing three layers of clothes easily. She said that... As soon as we came off the plane, she was like, I knew something was wrong because you guys were wearing all these different layers of clothes, your hair was greasy and dirty and you smelled bad and you looked bad.
1: Tiffany's grandmother is disturbed to discover that the girls have no clean clothes to change into. She's like,
3: your dad sent you with nothing, nothing to wear, nothing to live off of, no toiletries. Like, she was absolutely appalled at what the situation was with that and also thoroughly alarmed that we would be wearing so much clothing and such baggy clothing in the middle of the summertime. We started wearing so much clothing to cover up our figures so that you couldn't see our developing bodies underneath. Like, we were just trying to be unappealing. Like, making yourself look repulsive is kind of a protection technique, and I think that that we were using it as a way to protect ourselves from his unwanted interests.
1: But the girl's grandmother progresses from disturbed to concerned when she realizes that Tiffany and her sister... Refused to bathe.
3: I know that she brought up some concerns to my aunt and as a response to that my aunt came up with an idea to have my sister visit her and then me visit her but both individually to see if any of our behaviors changed.
1: The women's tactic pays off. Alone with her aunt Tiffany has a breakthrough.
3: She was talking to me about how she had discussed with my dad that she was going to have my sister go and live with her for one school year starting that fall and to see if that would help her do better in school improve her grades or her behaviors it was at that point that i was absolutely mortified of the thought of having to go back to my dad's house and stay by myself without my sister because I feel like my sister and I really leaned on each other. And so I was just really afraid of what would happen if I was there by myself. I didn't know if he would beat me to death or if I would just off myself or what. So I came clean. I told her everything that was going on at home. I said, you know, he sexually abuses me and he beats us and just things aren't okay at home and you can't leave me alone with him she immediately burst into tears and it was a lot for everybody to take in because that was her older brother she called my grandmother back in sacramento to tell her about what i had said and so my grandmother went and had a conversation with my sister saying tiffany just said this is what was going on and my sister also confirmed that hey he's also doing that to me
1: but finally admitting the terrible truth doesn't make Tiffany feel safe.
3: I was glad that my Aunt Regina believed me, but I was also scared because I didn't know what was going to come of it now that it was out in the open. My sister and I both, we were both afraid that my Aunt Regina and my grandmother wouldn't be able to protect us from being sent back to the house, and I was afraid that if we ended up back in the house that he was going to kill us.
1: With their grandmother's help, Tiffany and Amber report the abuse to the authorities in California. And Houston police arrest Shore for child molestation. He pleads no contest to two charges of indecency with a child, but receives a light sentence of only eight years probation.
3: So when my sister, my grandmother, and I found out that he was let back out, On probation, we were all really angry and also concerned, again, that he was going to come out and retaliate. We felt like there was no sense of justice in the system. We felt really let down and disappointed about it all.
1: But his conviction means that Shore becomes a registered sex offender, and he's required to submit his DNA to the national database known as CODIS.
4: CODIS is a national database of DNA profiles. It's contained mostly of offenders, criminals. There's a crime that's perpetrated, and you have a DNA profile. You can access the national database, throw that profile in, and see if you have a hit. Shore's DNA is entered into CODIS,
1: but no one comes knocking at his door, leaving him free to move on with his life. In California, Tiffany finds moving on to be a difficult task.
3: My sister and I both started attending counseling twice a week, once a week as individual therapy and the other time in group therapy so that we could start working through what had happened to us. For the first while of therapy, my sister and I both had self-destructive behavior still. I went through probably five therapists before I found one that worked in the period before that. like I would go to therapy, I would run through the motions and say what they wanted me to say. The therapists did their best to let us know that what we were experiencing was pretty normal but that there were better ways of coping with it than self-harm.
1: Years pass without incident. But in 2003, an audit of the crime lab in Houston reveals they've had a serious problem with their protocols for years. Authorities make the decision to send DNA evidence samples from a few high-profile Houston murders to an independent lab in Dallas for testing. Among those samples are the fingernail clippings from the 1992 murder of Maria del Carmen Estrada the second victim of the tourniquet killer. After escaping justice for more than a decade, Shore's days as a free man may finally be numbered. Six years after being convicted of molesting his own daughters, Anthony Shore continues to live a free life. As a registered sex offender, Shore is required to submit his DNA to the national database and routinely checks in with police in his Houston, Texas neighborhood. They have no idea that Shore is the ruthless tourniquet killer wanted for several brutal murders in the 1980s and 1990s. Now living with her grandmother in Sacramento, California, Shore's daughter Tiffany works hard to overcome her brutal past.
3: Essentially there came a turning point where I recognized I could continue on a road of self-destruction and perhaps end up like my parents or I could choose to better myself. I started volunteering at the public library. I got really into books and I loved reading and I connected with some people at a music store in town and pursued music for a little while. I just found healthy outlets for my frustrations and healthy extracurriculars and graduated high school early. In
1: 2003, authorities in Houston send several DNA samples to the crime lab in Dallas, Texas for retesting. Among them is the DNA found on the body of Maria del Carmen Estrada,
4: Shore's second victim. Back in 1992, Maria's fingernails were clipped and they were uh, maintained. They were placed in a refrigerator in the property room and they remained there for 10 years. The Dallas lab makes
1: a match between the DNA under Maria's fingernails and the sample Anthony Shore had submitted to CODIS.
4: They had a perfect DNA profile from her fingernails, which matches the DNA profile from the swabs of Anthony Shore. There's no reason for his DNA to have been there unless he were the perpetrator.
1: On October 24th, 2003, Houston police arrest Shore for Maria's murder. Through several hours of questioning, Shore remains calm but offers little information. When he finally does start to talk, he surprises his interrogators.
2: When police brought him in for questioning in the murder of Maria, he sat down and calmly confessed to the killings of Lori, Dana, and Diana as well. And he also confessed to the raping of the 14-year-old.
1: Throughout his confession, Shore maintains an eerie objectivity and complete lack of remorse.
4: Anthony understood what happened. Anthony understood what he did. Anthony understood from an intellectual standpoint that people who do things like Anthony did should pay a heavy price for their behavior and their conduct and their actions. The interesting thing about him is that When he got into the room and began to tell the story, he was telling the stories from an intellectual standpoint, disconnected as if he were an observer of what was happening as opposed to the perpetrator.
1: In California, 18-year-old Tiffany gets a call from her sister while she's at work.
3: I answered the phone, and I was like, hey, and she was like, hey, um, dad's a serial killer. Like, I don't even think she sugarcoated it in, in any way shape or form and I was like what <laughs> like honestly I thought maybe she was just trying to joke or maybe she was on something and I was like okay whatever and she was like no it's literally all over the news here because she was living in Houston at the time she was like it, yeah apparently he's a serial killer and he's just been taken into custody and I thought you would want to know I want to say like the initial reaction was probably just numb because it's very surreal. You hear about stuff like that on the news, and you read it in books, and you see movies about it, and you think that something like that's never going to happen to you. Finding out one of your parents went out and killed anybody is pretty devastating, even when you know they're a bad person. Still, like, it takes it to a whole new level of awful.
1: Authorities in Texas try Anthony Shore for the murder of Maria Estrada in October 2004.
4: They had a very good case with Maria. They had a lock-up DNA profile that absolutely connected him. They had witnesses from the bus stop that could testify that she was at the bus stop getting ready to go to work. Some of the people had known her or had seen her there before. So they had a good story to tell. And then once you get your conviction on one case, you don't want to try five homicides. Take your best homicide, try your best homicide, Get your conviction.
1: Shore is found guilty of Maria's murder. At the punishment phase of the trial, prosecutors introduce evidence of the other three murders and call his surviving victims to testify, including Shore's daughter, Tiffany.
3: I think that they were bringing us in so that they could witness that he had a history of other types of violent crime and no remorse for those crimes and that it was a continuing type of behavior and that there was no rehabilitation for him that he wasn't going to get any better that he wasn't going to be a functioning member of society ever again and that the best solution was the death penalty
1: in court tiffany faces her father for the first time since learning He's a serial killer.
3: He just looked like sickly. He was so pale and balding and he had shaved his beard off and it just, ugh, he looked awful. Like he just looked like some sick, twisted individual. He finally looked on the outside the type of person that he was on the inside. I'm thankful to be alive because that just as easily had been my sister or myself and i don't know what stopped him from taking it to that point with us i don't know why we were spared that i don't know why but i'm i'm glad for it
1: anthony shore receives the death penalty for his crimes and is executed in january 2018 no one from his family attends the execution
3: I was just relieved and kind of surprised that it was finally over with. I mean, they really drew out his sentence. I think it was 13 years from the time he received the death penalty to he was finally executed. Like that is a really long time to sit in limbo waiting for closure. So I was I was glad that it was finally over.
1: With Shore gone, the brutal killer will never again be able to claim another victim.
4: Tiffany broke this entire case wide open because she had the courage to stand up and tell law enforcement.
2: The thing that really stands out to me about the Shore family is how incredibly well they have handled all this. I mean, there's clearly no playbook for how you handle having a serial killer in your family. They seem to have put things together incredibly well.
1: While Tiffany's road to recovery has been long, she moves forward with a positive outlook.
3: So since receiving lots of therapy and support from other individuals and just learning through life experience, trial and error type stuff, I do feel a lot more confident about my life and about myself as an individual. I want to lead by example for my daughter. I want her to emulate the right things for me. So it's a daily work in progress. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Determined to make a difference, she now works in the justice system.
3: I think the reason that I want to help other people in those situations, not necessarily because of what my dad did, but because of how the situation was handled. Having us reported to CPS multiple times and not being removed from the home, having all these apathetic individuals who came into our house. And didn't intervene, just getting the word out there that if you see something, say something, you never know, it could save a life, literally could save someone's life. I know that one person can't change the world, but I think that if more people are aware of what goes on and more people that care are slowly worked into the system, maybe it can get better. And the only way to do that is to try. So that's so all I can do is try.
0: I Lived With a Killer comes from the real crime fans at Reels Channel. To find more original programs like this when you watch TV, go to Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z dot com to find us on your system. You'll also find extras from the TV version of I Lived With a Killer, including tell-all interviews with family members and crime scene photos. You'll get only on Reels Channel.